Things podcast. We're excited to be back for this premiere episode of season two. This is episode one of season two, and we're kicking it off with a real monster for today's show, Albert Fish. If you know anything about Albert Fish, you already know this episode is going to deal with the serial killing of children, child rape, cannibalism, and mutilation. You have been warned, and we just want to give listener discretion before we start this show. Uh, if you don't know anything about Albert Fish, you're going to be in for quite the ride today. Yeah, so. With Albert Fish, and me and Hunter were talking about this a little bit before the episode, Hamilton Howard is his birth name, and then Albert Fish is presumably the name he kind of gave himself as well. So he goes by that name, and uh, he was born on May 19th, 1870, and he lived all the way to January 16th, 1936. So Hamilton Howard, or Albert Fish, is known for being one of the vilest pedophiles, child serial killers, and cannibals of all time. He was also known as the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, and the Boogeyman. Fish was a small, gentle-looking man who appeared kind and trusting, yet once alone with his victims, the monster inside him was unleashed, a monster so perverse and cruel, his crimes seem unbelievable. Yeah, so just thinking of those nicknames that he got, I mean, you have to do a lot of of terrible things to gain one of those nicknames. Yeah, well, I'm just, like, blown away, because, I mean... The fact he has a vampire werewolf name and the boogeyman, like, that's a shit ton of nicknames. And maniac, yeah. Werewolf, yeah. vampire, boogeyman. I mean, those are one of the, like, those top three most well-known monsters. And so this guy, as we'll continue talking about, did a lot of crazy and vile things. So uh, with any serial killer, we do want to talk about their youth. That's a major, major critical time in the development of a serial killer. And Albert Fish had quite the quite the different youth. So... Uh, By the time he was five, his father had passed away. His mother was faced with the difficult decision to put her children in an orphanage until she could find a way to support them on her own. Uh, she She was pretty broke at the time, so... She took them to an orphanage, and the majority of his of his youth was spent in the orphanage, and it turned him kind of into the sick man he became later in life. He was physically abused daily, and we can only infer what kind of mental abuse he went through. He began to get pleasure from the pain because he endured so much. And when Albert was 10, his mother finally got a stable job, was able to return to the orphanage to collect her children. However, this time it was too late to rescue Albert. The abuse has already taken a massive toll on the boy, both physically and mentally. And at the age of 12, Albert formed a relationship with a local telegraph boy. This young man introduced Fish to some disgusting practices, such as Euro... Lagnia, which is the drinking of urine, and coprophagia, which is the act of eating feces. Um, so already he has... He already wait, wait, has, wait. So the telegraph boy introduced that to him? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, this boy was already into that, and yeah. he showed Albert Fish about it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of even screwed him up even more. Oh, my God. Um, Fish <clears throat> would spend the majority of his weekends visiting public bathhouses, where he would spy on other younger boys as they undressed, and... <laughs> would frequently practice putting needles into his scrotum and pelvis area for pleasure. What the fuck? Yeah, so he was already, I mean, just by the time he was 12, he was doing this kind of stuff. 
Uh, he would also beat himself with a nail-studded ping-pong paddle, and his pastimes were evidence of, of this developing mental illness, which he had. So, I mean, we can already tell this guy, uh, he was only five years old when he went into the orphanage, and for those next, what, seven years until he got out of the orphanage, he was just into some into some crazy stuff. I mean, and he's yeah. only a child. I mean, he hasn't even probably gone through puberty yet at this point, yet he's already experiencing um, evidence of sadomasochism and kind of getting sexual gratification from hurting himself. So this is a massive red flag, and it's something that's pretty common with, with most serial killers. Um, you know, a mother, a mother neglecting the child and uh, violence and abuse, no father figure in the, in the home. And uh, this kind of sets the stage for his terrible, terrible adulthood. For sure. So question, um, with this like fish fascination that he got at the age of 12, is that why he named himself Albert Fish? Like with the last name Fish because of this telegraph boy stuff with um, urine and feces? You know, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I don't really know where the name Albert Fish came from. We'll have to look into that a little bit more. But uh, the telegraph boy... He was just kind of like an accessory to what Albert was becoming. I think the majority of what turned Albert into this kind of crazy sadomasochist was the fact that he was abused in this orphanage. Um, because by the time he was 10, he was already uh, putting needles into his scrotum. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I don't know what kind of, uh, I've never ever heard of that before, but I mean, I can't even imagine the pain that must be. I think when they when they did an autopsy on his body when he uh when he uh was electrocuted for his crimes, they found twenty nine needles inserted into his pelvis because he wanted to and we'll talk about this uh during his trial, but he wanted he thought that was gonna be like the ultimate sexual gratification was being electrocuted on the electric chair. <laughs> so yeah the guy's really screwed up and he did some terrible things which we're going to talk about so uh if you have a weak stomach i you might want to skip over this episode because it's going to be it's going to get uh pretty crazy yeah so albert fish's adulthood um by the time he was 20 he was living in new york city and working as a prostitute nice I wonder what kind of a prostitute bdsm <laughs> yeah <laughs> did that exist in 1920 that I would imagine, but I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Early, the late 19 or 1800s. <laughs> Just have people slapping you on the wrist with I a mean, ruler. The thing is, is like this was such taboo because think about late 1800s. Like women would keep their ankles covered. Yeah. Because they thought that was too racy. And a dude working as a prostitute. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't think that is that uncommon. I, but I feel like. But maybe. I don't know. I, I'm i not an expert on the on that. It's like New the York, timer. Though, yeah. So. <laughs> Anything goes Men, right. Men, women, anything. Yeah, but uh, I don't think putting needles in your penis is <laughs> that's a little far fetched. <laughs> yeah, it's a little odd. Oh, a little boy. odd. So yeah, he was working as a prostitute at twenty, and it was during this time in his life that he started rape, <laughs> raping young boys. Um, and his mothers tended to do during this time in history. Albert's mother arranged a marriage for him. It was a fruitful marriage, and although nine years younger than Fish. Anna Mary Hoffman gave him six children. I wonder how their relationship, like if we could really do like some study on that, that would be pretty interesting because he one, You can tell that like he has a fascination for children, especially boy children. So I wonder if that also played a fact in why he was arranged a marriage with someone nine years younger than him, just for like 
the yeah. youthful thing that he's going. Because he was 20, so what is that? She was 11? Yeah, that's fucking young. <laughs> oh I don't think, God. well, I don't know if women are able to bear children at that young of an age. At 11? I, no, I think they are. I think at 11 they are. Between like 11 and 13 there, that's when they. That's insane though, dude. Can you imagine like 11-year-old? Like that's still a kid that's like barely getting into junior high or still in elementary school. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. So, yeah, six children between, uh, yeah, when he was 20 and she was 11 years old. So, yeah. So, yeah, in an attempt to live a normal life, Fish found work as a house painter. He didn't stop his gross behavior, though. He continued to rape young boys. He once told the story of a male lover who took him to a wax museum. It was there that Fish became fascinated with penis bisection. Um, Sexual mutilation became an obsession of his. So, that's pretty insane. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Sexual mutilation. I mean, that's just like he went to a wax museum. He probably saw like cross sections of bodies and stuff. So I'm getting to the point where, like, with all the previous episodes that we've covered with um, different serial killers and weird stuff, this one is like the weirdest to me. Like, I know we've gone over some darker things in this, but I just find it like so odd that, like, one, he's into pedophilia, but two, like, he's dissecting penises. Like, yeah. Well, it gets worse, too. I mean, the guy was a cannibal, too. So this, like, I'm so surprised that not a lot of people have heard of Albert Fish. I mean, you have to be kind of like a serial killer crime junkie. But a lot of people, you know, in our day, they've heard the name like Ted Bundy, uh, John Wayne Gacy. um, Who else? You know, just like the, the typical serial killers of our day but albert fish was seriously one of like the most despicable serial killers in history question though so with this sexual mutilation that he has an obsession with at this point um did he do any of that to himself or was it only on other people oh i'm sure he did it to himself because he was doing the the needles um and he was flogging himself with a a ping pong paddle that's a good point was studded with nails so i'm sure he practiced self-mutilation um, that's not uncommon for people that are sadomasochists. Uh, they just love pain. And, you know, if he was in the orphanage, you might want to think like, so in an orphanage, it's separated boys and girls for the most part back then. Um, and of course there's probably a lot of abuse going on because you have like the headmaster of the orphanage. He's probably beating the kids. You never know. Rape could have been a, could have been, um, thing that he experienced. Well, I do know with a lot of people that are sexually abused as children, they're also like not meaning they always will but often they end up sexually abusing children when they get older. So maybe that's a possibility is he was. It definitely could be because their views on sexuality are very skewed. And it was a taboo to even talk about. So who are you going to go tell if if your uncle molested you? You're not going to tell anybody. In the 18, 1900s. Yeah, that's, that's very taboo. And I'm sure any of this stuff was taboo, like sexual mutilation. Um, even, you know, like same-sex relationships, that would that was extremely taboo, let alone pedophilia. That's insane. So um, continuing on, so in 1910 is when, Del- uh, when Fish committed his first mutilation. This was in Delaware. He met a young man named Thomas Kedden, and it's been suggested, suggested that Fish took advantage of the young man. Uh, he forced him into a relationship, and Fish eventually took the boy to an old barn where he tortured him for several weeks. And by the end of this ordeal, Kedden found himself tied up while Albert Fish cut off half of his penis. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Fish later said, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Fish's plan was to kill the boy, cut him up, and take his body back to his home uh, where he would 
like probably eat him, but it was really hot outside, so Fish was afraid the meat would spoil. He instead poured peroxide over the wound, uh, put Vaseline on it, and placed a rag over the over over his penis, and then uh, handed the kid ten dollar bill. Get kissed him goodbye. <laughs> fled the scene. Yeah, that fixes the damage so. you did. Ten dollars and a kiss. Yeah, that's just like <laughs> okay. I cut off half your dick. Uh, here's ten bucks. Granted, ten bucks was a little bit worth more back then, but still, the damage right, has been done. hundred dollars and like, a kiss. You want your dick like, cut off for that? You're <laughs> like, oh, man, like this guy probably could never even use the bathroom anymore. No, because, yeah. Like, think of the scarring and like the the just damage that that would have done to this guy's uh, penis. So. Yeah, just really messed up. I'm surprised. So the, I guess the only thing that kept him from killing the kid was the fact that it was hot outside and the meat would go bad pretty quick. So uh, he originally planned to cook this boy. How did he know the meat was going to go bad, though? Because this is the first experience where he was planning on eating someone, right? Well, no, I don't think it was because... Um, so there's he's probably killed someone before this that we're not even aware of. I think that he had been eating people for a long time. Yeah, because like... I And so... We'll get into that in a letter he sent to this person's family, but okay, okay. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about his first cannibal experience, but yeah, basically he he uh, had this lover, I guess, this young lover, and that wasn't um, his wife, right? No, this happened in 1910, so he would have been like, uh, let's see, born in because we don't have the date on when he was married, right? He was 30 years old. Okay, at this point, so this was 10 years after his uh, marriage with his wife. Okay. So he was 30 at this point. Should, should we talk about the Bud family? Yeah, we'll talk about the Bud family. But that's just like just 10 bucks for cutting off some guy's penis and just handing him 10 bucks. Like that's it's just gross. Yeah. Honestly. Like $10. Maybe that's all he had. He so, kind of felt bad. Yeah, this is where I get confused because I feel like with psychopaths and sociopaths, they have a, a lack of empathy to some degree. Um, so it's interesting to me that he was trying to like Give him, something. him yeah, yeah with the $10 well, they were and in a, a relationship for a little bit wait him and this kid yeah yep they had because like he had forced him into a relationship fish did oh fish forced the young boy into a relationship so it had happened for a few weeks so maybe he still had feelings for the kid um but i don't know how you could like be planning on eating someone that you had feelings for so i don't know maybe he just realized well shoot i just kind of screwed up this kid forever so all i have is 10 bucks to so just give him this and get out of here <laughs> God damn it. So this all leads into um, an encounter with the Bud family. Yeah, this is this encounter that he had with the Bud family is probably his most well-known um, moment in his really screwed up life. And it's the it's the uh, most evidence we have against Albert Fish for what he's done, the most well-documented. So we'll go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, so in 1928... Fish answered an ad by an 18-year-old Edward Budd who was looking for part-time work to help out with the family finances. Albert Fish, who introduced himself as Mr. Frank Howard, met with Edward and his family to discuss Edward's future position. Fish told the family that he was a Long Island farmer looking to pay a strong young worker $15 a week. The job seemed ideal, and the Budd family, excited about Edward's luck in finding the job, instantly trusted the gentle and polite Mr. Howard. Fish told the Bud family that he would return the following week to take Edward and a friend of Edward's out to his farm to begin working. The following week, Fish failed to show on the day promised, but did send a telegram apologizing and set a new date to meet with the boys. 
When fish arrived on June 4th, as promised, he came bearing gifts for all the Bud children and visited with the family over lunch. To the Buds, Mr. Howard seemed like a typical loving grandfather. After lunch, Fish explained to the family that he had to attend a children's birthday party at his sister's home and would return later to pick up Eddie and his friend to take to the farm. He then suggested that the Buds allow him to bring their oldest daughter, 10-year-old Grace, along to the party. The unsuspecting parents agreed and dressed her in her Sunday best. Grace, excited about going to a party, left her house for the very last time. Grace Bud was never seen alive again. The investigation into the disappearance of Grace Bud went on for six years before detectives received any substantial break in the case. Then on November 11, 1934, Miss Bud received an anonymous letter which gave gro- grotesque details of the murder and the cannibalism of her previous daughter, Grace. So there's one thing that sticks out to me reading this encounter. Um, and it's the fact that he wasn't there when they came to the farm. So I want to talk about this. Do you think that maybe he felt remorse on what he was anticipating to do that day? So he like maybe bailed out and then did it um, a different day? No. no, no. My personal opinion. I don't think this guy had any type of remorse. Okay. I think he was just a stone cold. Like he had no feelings whatsoever. But what about that ten dollar and the kiss to that one kid where he cut off half his dick? Because I feel like I don't know. Maybe you he know, was maybe battling he, with these things. He could have been battling with him, but I here's what I think happened as far as him coming to the farm the first time. Um, because he came to the farm the first time, right? And then he said, "I'll return." Right. I think he was still forming a plan. So he just wasn't sure what he wanted to do yet. Mm-hmm, because the original plan was for Albert to go to the farm, pick up the two boys who were um, 18 years old, and, you know, like, put on this facade that he was going to take them to his farm in Long Island and and pay them to work his fields. Yeah. Yeah. However, I think that upon going to the farm, one, he realized that these two boys were too old and too strong and could overpower him because they were at 18, and by this point, he's like, what, 70 almost? Is he? Uh huh. He's pretty old. Yeah, this is 1928. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so this was only like 10 years, less than 10 years before he died. Right. Um, so he's a pretty old guy at this point, and I feel like he scoped out the family, the Bud family, and he saw the little girl who was 10 years old, and he had more of like a fascination with the younger girl than he did with the two stronger 18 year old kids. Okay, I gotcha. Um, so upon leaving. I think he was forming a plan of how he was going to instead, you know, instead of taking the two young men back to the farm, um, he was going to try to formulate a plan to take the girl instead. And he was still coming up with an excuse of how he was going to get the girl. Okay. That's my opinion. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I just find it interesting that he had a day of hesitancy where it seemed like something was going on. So that's, I'm just confused about that because it seems like he could have, if anything, made everything happen that day, and then he just decided, nah, for whatever reason. Yeah, he changed his mind. So, I mean, he could have been busy. You never know. Um, but he, we, we know now that he took the girl instead. So he was, I think he had already found her as the victim that he wanted to eat and that he wanted to rape and kill. So um, the letter, which I'm going to read next, is pretty disgusting. Uh, the mom actually received this letter. So just put yourself in Mrs. Bud's um, shoes for a minute. So your daughter goes missing, never seen again with this guy. 
who said that he was going to take her to a, a kid's birthday party, which I would never, ever let my daughter go off with some strange yeah. guy, no matter how old the guy was. Never. Uh, this was obviously a different time and a different um, people had different perceptions on people. But still, I mean, that's just that's crazy. Right. That they didn't even know this guy that long and they just gave up their daughter to go to this birthday party. Um, and then obviously there was no birthday party. So the buds received a letter uh, just a few years after their daughter went missing. So they have no idea what happened to their daughter. But one day they go out, they get the mail. And this is the letter that Mrs. Bud read from Albert Fish. It says, My dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was one to three dollars a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the streets. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a girl or boy would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, was sold as veal cutlets, bringing the highest price. John stayed there so long that he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he sold two boys, one seven and one eleven. He took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them up in a closet, and then burned everything they had on. Several times every day and night he'd spank them, torture them, to make their meat good and tender. First he killed the eleven-year-old boy. Because he had the fattest ass, of course, and the most meat on it. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, this is hard to read. Uh, every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven. All of his ass. Broiled, boiled, fried, and stewed. The little boy was next, and he went the same way. At that time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street. He told me so often how good human flesh was, and I made up in my mind to taste it. On June 3, 1928, I called upon you at 406 West 15th Street and brought you pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up in my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped off all my clothes. I knew if I did not, I would get blood on all of on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called for her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me naked, she began to cry and run down the stairs. I grabbed her, and she, and she said that she would tell her mama. First I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her into small pieces so I could take the meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. Okay, whew. Yeah, so that was, that was, hard, that was a hard read to get through. Um, but this was the letter that this, this maniac sent to the buds. And you can imagine just being a mother um, reading that about your own daughter. It's just, it's just awful. Um, this does offer pretty good insight into how, Ed, um, Albert became a cannibal though. 
just the fact that um, he had that friend that went to China, that backstory about how in China the meat from humans was so great. Um, that was in 1894. So he couple years later he had tried human flesh we can assume um that was when he was about 26 so by this time from 26 up until almost 70 years old we can pretty much infer that he had eaten quite a few children um just a monster just a terrible person and uh that note or the letter that he wrote to the buds although it was very well written it's just disgusting and disturbing yeah i'm I don't know. This is a little bit much for me personally. Like this is gross as fuck. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh he wrote just go ahead. So he was captured actually. Um if you want to go ahead and read that part about his trial and sentencing after he was finally captured. Yeah. So after his capture, he admitted to molest Oh my god. So he admitted damn it, dude. After this capture, he admitted to molesting over 400 children and tortured and killed several others. However, it was not known if his statement was truthful. He was eventually executed, and according to rumors, he turned his own execution into a fantasy of pleasure. In March of 1935, he was sentenced to death, but not before being allowed to write a series of notes on his crimes uh, to be handed over to the journalists working on the case. They took one look at the notes and refused to publish them. Yeah. So uh, the reason why we included that letter to the Bud family is because um, it just, it one, goes into a little bit of backstory about how he became a cannibal, and two, it's just proof that of proof of what happened to Grace. And just disgusting, this guy. Uh, the fact that after he was captured, he wrote all the notes about what happened to each one of his victims um, the journalist didn't even publish them because it was something probably just along those lines, if not worse. And back in the 19, I mean, this was what, 1930s? That would have been extremely disgusting. I mean, this was unheard of back then, this kind of stuff. I mean, it's unheard of today. It's just, it's just stomach churning. It's just disgusting to hear about this guy and his crimes. But um, we picked him because not a lot of people know about this guy, but he deserves... Uh, to be remembered for the kind of disgusting, terrible things he did. Yeah. I mean, on the same note, dude, like I almost wish like no one knew about this though. Cause like, fuck man, this is, this is awful shit, dude. Yeah. It's disgusting. And like the one thing that gets me is like, I know on Netflix and like the Mindhunter TV show, right. That's based off the book, which is um, really good. I only got like halfway through it. Cause like this stuff is kind of interesting to me, but it also creeps me out. Like, it just, I don't know, it's hit and miss. Most of the time, like, reading shit like this, it just um, grosses me out and, like, makes me upset. But I know a lot of serial killers personally want the attention, and I know they cover that in the book where, like, a lot of serial killers want the publicity. Like, especially, like, the pyromaniacs, like, they'll light shit on fire just to get the publicity and get it in the news, and then they just crave it. So I'm wondering if that was part of the notes he want, wanted published, you know? It was that could be. Part of him trying to get the fame and the publicists and the journalists were like, no, we're not publishing this. You don't get any more attention. Like, exactly. And you, I mean, there's creepy people that feed off this too. So it's just, I'm kind of glad they didn't publish those notes. Uh, am I interested to see what they say? Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Um, however, I'm glad they didn't publish them because he, like you said, he admitted to uh, harming and torturing over 400 children. 
And part of me wants to just say that's like a gross exaggeration. He didn't do that, but there's there's serial killers out there that have actually gotten that high of numbers. And children are so innocent. And this guy's an old man. He has a very trusting face, but he's just a monster underneath his skin. Just a terrible person. Yeah. Well, and the part that gets to me is um, it, I want to know if that 400 number is actually accurate or not. And the thing that makes me think it is is the fact that this family, upon meeting a stranger who brought them food, immediately let their daughter sit on his lap. Like, and I know we've talked about this in the previous episodes of the murderers that were in the early 1900s or late 1800s, and people were just stupid, straight up. And we were joking about people not having self-awareness, but this is just proof of that. Like, one, I think the lack of the internet um, really hurt society back then because with the internet now if something were like this were to happen everyone would know about it yep and everyone would know we need to be more cautious because of this and this but like back then it's like this happens in one city no one knows about it except that city so over in new york the same situation can happen again because no one has the awareness of what happened can you imagine if something like this came to the news in our day right now Ooh, that'd be rough Oh my goodness, it would be insane. Well, there, yeah. there's even stuff going around in Utah about some dude in my area right now that's literally driving around to parks in a white van, and he's been trying to lure kids into his van. Like, everyone in my area in Utah is aware of this. And Wait, it, is he still out there right now? Um, well, it was like about a month ago, so I don't know if there's anything recent. Dude, let's go hunt him but, down. For real, though. <laughs> but like, shit like that, like everyone's aware of it now, because people yeah. noticed it. And, like, someone noticed their kids being drawn to the van and, like, no, get the fuck back over here. And, you know, publicity for these things, you don't—I can see what you're saying about not giving killers publicity because uh, it could spawn copycat crimes. And people that read these kind of letters like he wrote can kind of, like, get a high off of it, a sick high. Um, But also, it um, it creates a sense of, uh, like, security. Like, you need to not trust your children with anybody, you know? Like, keep your kids safe. Don't let them go off with strangers, even if they're a 70-year-old man, because you can see what old men are capable of. Yeah. And this kind of shit happens worldwide every day. Um, And you need—I think people need to know what sick individuals are capable of. For sure. Well, I just—it makes me so upset. Like, I don't get— how people lived 200 years ago, I don't get it at all. Like, why, why would you let your daughter sit on a stranger's lap that brought you food? Like, I don't care how close your city is. I don't care how comfortable you are with your neighbors. I don't think you should trust people that aren't, well, no, I don't know. This is just controversial because a lot of the time when it comes to molestation, it involves people in your immediate family. So it's not saying that you shouldn't trust strangers. You also shouldn't touch, trust people in your family. Like, you just need to be incredibly cautious. Um, and for me, it's like, why... I don't want to have kids to begin with just because I don't want to bring them into this world. But two, you know how much like responsibility that gives you as a parent, like you have to have your eye on them all the time. You can't let them go unnoticed. You can't let them just slip your sight for a minute. Like, cause within that minute or so they could be completely gone. Like, and that's scary. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's just crazy. Like, like what you're saying, this time period, uh, 1800s, you know, this is the time of H.H. H. Holmes. He was he was big back then. He was another serial killer that killed a lot of people. Uh, Jack the Ripper. I'll have to do an episode on them as well because this is kind of like that same time period. Uh, Albert Fish kind of slips through the cracks. And I think it's important that people know about Albert Fish and what his terrible crimes were because um, 
he's up there with Jack the Ripper and H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, if not worse, because he took advantage of children, and they're the most innocent things in the world. And to kill children is just, it just makes me disgusted. You know, you know, Jack the Ripper, he killed a lot of prostitutes in London. Um, it's gross. However, it's nothing comparable to the rape and cannibalism of kids. So this guy was, this guy was sick and disgusting. For sure. Um, picked him for a, a season two premiere just because a lot of people, like I said, aren't aware of this guy. And uh, you can do some more study on him, but we're not going to discuss him anymore. So we'll go ahead and close out. Cool. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, this is season two, episode two, Albert Fish, the werewolf of hysteria. Uh, Westeria. <laughs> Westeria. Um, that being said, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can shoot those to the dark things podcast at gmail.com. Um, as far- Slide into our DMs yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> Slide us a DM. Or follow us. Follow us on Instagram. It's even better. For sure. Yep. And then on social media, go and check us out. We update and post um, so you can keep in the loop with everything that's going on. And as usual, go ahead and give us a five-star rating on your platform of choice. Uh, We appreciate those. And that is all. We'll see you on the next episode.